So, hello everyone. This is CEO National Master Evan Rabin, and I am here at the Wilson Kettle Space location with Susan Holman, uh, a good friend and partner of ours, and NLP trainer. Uh, so, for one, Susan, just quickly introduce yourself and tell us what NLP actually means. Oh, sure, Evan. Um, it stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. Wow. <laughs> and that is a communication model that's based on achieving excellence in business and in health. Interesting. So walk us through a little bit more how that process actually works. Um, NLP started a long time ago, and we use some of the principles of NLP, like rapport building, um, values, coaching. Um, we discover your how, not so much your why, but your how. And we, um, it, it's actually a form of hypnosis, if you will. And it's excellent communication model applied to sales and to business. Wow. Well, tell, how did you get into NLP yourself? Um, let's see. When I became a hypnotist a, a number of years ago, um, I was introduced to NLP, and when you think of NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming, you normally think of Tony Robbins, mm. which is really a form of motivational coaching. Um, but the founders of NLP have a system um, that breaks down the communication to two systems, the meta model, mm and the Milton model mm. of communication. And in the meta model of communication, you walk through a series of questions that allow you to develop new neural pathways in your brain for transforming, quote unquote, the problem or the problem state in your life. Interesting. Um, what would you say, you know, for those of us that haven't had that much experience with NLP, luckily I have a couple times now with you. Um, you know, I think the first time we met, I was talking a little bit about, you know, work-life balance and uh, not being able to fully um, be able to balance my time between working. You know, I felt like I had to, you know, work. Uh, 24 hours uh, a day, which obviously is not, uh, you know, feasible. Um, you know, I wasn't thinking about resting, um, and that's something that, you know, through your sessions and actually through some conversations with a mutual friend of ours, Brian Winston, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who's a business coach, you know, he actually explained to me, like, no, you don't have to work, you know, 24-7. You could actually hire admin people that would be, you know, perfectly happy to take off uh, a yes. lot of the burden uh, from you. So I think that's something that you, you know, certainly helped me with as well. Sure. And just kind of piggybacking off what you just said, Evan, the way that NLP approaches what you're describing is it, we look at language constructs, the, the actual language you use to speak to yourself with and to others. So when you say, I had to do this mm. and I should do that, you are using a language construct which sets you up for not being successful because it is a goal that 
it's a language construct that, that builds a lot around the fear of what would happen if you didn't get it done, as opposed to the accomplishment of the yeah. act. So let me ask you, like, rather than say, let's say, I need to work 24-7, what's an alternative thing that you should say? I find work-life balance easy when I'm pursuing my passion, for example. Mm. And um, also in the field of NLP, um, there are two types of goals essentially with these language constructs. One is moving away from goals and meaning like moving away from the fear of failure. Fear is a huge motivating factor for a lot of people. It's actually a winning formula. And one is moving toward. Mm. To develop new neural pathways in the brain, you can construct your language in a way that it will allow your brain to solve the problem or creatively brainstorm by moving toward your goal mm. and away from the fear factor. We all know that fear is a motivator, and we see it uh, quite pronounced here in New York. Mm. <laughs> um, and across the country, I would say. But uh, you can come up with a different motivation strategy by changing your motivation behind those goals to moving toward the goal instead of the, moving away from the thing that you fear the most. So I think that's interesting, right? It's a matter about goals, right? And I think that definitely translates to chess. Um, you know, I had a student tell me the other day, you know, oh, I'm so stressed. I've, you know, been at the same rating now for a long time. I can't, uh, you know, improve. Uh, you know, I'm putting in all this work, and I'm just, you know, I'm not getting there. Um, and and I think a lot of it was, he was just a little bit too concerned about rating, right? So about it, about rank. About his rating, right? Rating. He wanted mm -hmm. to get his rating up, and um, you know. And I had a student, you know, the other day who agreed to a draw in a much better position against a higher rated player. And I actually said, uh, you know, why did you, you know, agree to a draw? Well, he was higher rated. I knew I was going to get a couple of rating points. And I may have blundered otherwise. I may have ended up losing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and really he should have realized that. You know, hey, at the end of the day... Well, I'm going to stop you there because you said he should have realized. Mm. And that's another uh, complex yeah, language configuration that yes. actually yes. is creating something that you have to do or mm. you should do. And neurologically speaking, it's not the healthiest way to develop new neural pathways in the brain to creatively solve problems like... Um, what's a better approach for your friend's ideas about competition is doing some more internal work, mm. you know. Um, an interesting thing about NLP is that all hypnosis is NLP and all, hip, all NLP is hypnosis. So what all that means is that it bypasses your analytical mind and it puts you in touch with your unconscious mind, which is the seat of all behavioral change. So when you're operating from there, your neurology is at play, you know, people have fear of public speaking or chess matches, you know, how are they neurologically approaching that match?
for that group of people that they're so speaking. So how are you using hypnosis to get you to get rid of your fear of chess? Touche. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, I'm not using any shoulds or have tos. I'm not saying I have to learn chess. I'm, but I am saying I don't have time to learn it. Yeah. That's not necessarily true. Well, you, you make the time. But so, um, great. Let's turn it around to me playing chess. First, I have to have a desire to do it, and it has to be important to me. So if we're asking me, Susan, we'll turn this right around on the trainer right here, okay? Because <laughs> I'm, fr I'm front row and center, and I'm right here, baby. <laughs> okay? So um, say that you're asking me, Susan, that's not true. You, you do have time to learn chess. Um, perhaps chess isn't what's important to me right now. Mm. So it doesn't feed into my value system. And perhaps one of the reasons it doesn't yet is because I say yet, which is, you know, yeah, I mean, that's, opening I that, that, a door. That's important. I'm just going to briefly interrupt because it's, an, I think, an important idea. Mm -hmm. uh, my good friend and mentor, Steve Eisenberg, the founder of Jewish International Connections in New York, um, you know, always talks about that. About, um, about what? About, but uh, you're not yet there. Uh, I can't do it yet. Mm -hmm. um, that whole yet idea is extremely important, right? He likes to say people are not married yet. They're, okay. They're, 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 not, well, they're not single. They're not married yet. It, dep not it depends on the yet. context of, of the usage of the word yes, yet, because in my case, I think it shows an openness to learn chess. Right. If somebody's not married yet, it could be for a multitude of internal and external reasons. It could be the same with me with chess, right? It could be maybe, uh, well, I don't think it's that complicated with me and chess. Mm. I think for me, um, it, it would be more that I want to do it well, and I don't want to be a bystander. Mm. So that takes time. So I do realize that you do need to invest, uh, I use the word need, but it's recommended to invest some time in learning the art of chess in order to be good at it. Got it. Um, okay, wonderful. So, um, yeah, so look, I, I, I've fairly, you know, actually for myself, I've definitely actually seen the benefit of what uh, hypnosis could do, um, you know, for, for people just in terms of, uh, you know, mindset. And just um, for the audience listening, I'm doing a combination of NLP coaching and hypno hypnotic coaching, and they're all intertwined. Absolutely. We're getting into internal, external ways of communicating with yourself, with uh, what are you not communicating. That's an important thing, an internal representation. You know, what, what do things mean to you when you use a word, when a person uses the word, I have to do this, or I must do that, or they, they use, you know, I think we talked before, Evan, in interviews, that you know your subconscious doesn't process negatives mm. so if I said don't pick up that cup chances are you're gonna pick up that cup mm. or don't call me if I'm telling a telemarketer that's the chances are that th they're hearing call me right and, and I actually see that a lot by the way I know like I mean look you and I are both salespeople um, you know, by the way, in addition to being, you know, an amazing NLP trainer and hypnosis trainer, I, I think Susan is also a, a real estate broker mm -hmm. uh, with Halstead. So, um, 
you know, I think it's actually funny sometimes when like salespeople will get like, annoyed when someone makes like a robocall, you know, to them. Uh, I find it kind of interesting, actually. Here's um, here's a way you like, would you, you know could... you do realize like you made twenty cold calls yesterday. I'm not saying it's the same, you know. Yes, you, we did our research. Well, and well, here's this and that, me but... as a salesperson, and I have been doing sales my whole life, really. Even when I was a ballet dancer, I was selling playbill ads. So it's part when I used to teach ballroom dancing, I was selling ballroom lessons. So it's in my DNA. But I have more of a subtle approach to sales. So I don't do robocalls and I don't do cold calling. Mm. I, I do mine more off of referrals. That's my own personal system. Doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with cold calling. But think about if I get a call from a robo call or you get one and we get irritated. NLP deals with more how can you can control your response to that so that it doesn't agitate you. Um, perfect. So, um, so what would you say now that you've actually had a little bit of experience with chess? Um, you know, we did one, <laughs> you know, private lesson. Um, you've also seen. Yeah. Uh, one of our tournaments at ASEAN Thai Cuisine. Yes. Uh, by the way, this Monday is our next coming tournament mm-hmm. uh, and ASEAN Thai Cuisine. Um, actually, in honor of our former instructor, National Master Lev Caraton, who unfortunately passed on last year. Um, so this is actually going to be his uh, post-homeous 75th birthday party. Okay. Uh, on Tuesday. Uh, on Monday, uh, the 24th. Oh. Um, but... Um, what would you see as maybe the biggest benefits that you know chess players could learn uh, through NLP? Mm. They can learn different subconscious levels of rapport building with their opponents. Can you okay. elaborate on that? Okay. So when you are at a chess match or you're competing with someone, perhaps you want to be able to read their body language more effectively or Mm. notice their eye patterns or their breathing. Um, NLP helps people to understand sensory acuity and it helps people to become more congruent in their behavior. Mm. So um, say that this is a match where you've got all those conditions imposed on yourself, I have to win or I have to show this person your neurology may be reacting to that idea. Mm. So NLP can help you to not only remain calm, but to notice what's not being said at the match, what moves aren't being played on the board. And when you're able to work from a standpoint of inner and outer congruency, you will have a more effective match. There's no doubt about it. Interesting. Um, and NLP, the definition of it, uh, all the trainers use this, is the study of excellence. Well, so it's important to, uh, yeah, definitely continuously improve, um, to, you know, consistently work. Um, you know, a lot of improving in chess actually just has to do with, um, the ability to be consistent and to, um. and to focus and to notice the subtleties because what a lot of people can miss the mark on with NLP or the way that it's being taught in a generalized way to the masses is the subtle art of communicating mm. 
I'm sitting across from Evan at a chess table. Once I get my skills set up to <laughs> doing <laughs> regular, and it doesn't take me forever to make a move, then I may be noticing how Evan's breathing. Well, Evan, you're at a completely different level, but and I think but maybe chess players should use a poker face a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> and, uh. and it's not so much okay. There was feedback from a colleague that uh, said, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I don't like NLP because uh, I don't know if I believe in it because it's manipulative. NLP is not manipulative. Um, any of the trainers that I know that are certifying people are seeing massive breakthroughs, people becoming more whole, more confident, letting go of past behaviors. Um, however, it is used by politicians. It's been used by Barack Obama, wow. Clinton, Donald Rumsfeld is one, a classic one that I bring up when he was asked about weapons of mass destruction under the Bush administration, and he said uh, something to the effect of there are a lot of knowns and unknown knowns, and it's the unknown knowns about which we don't know. And, and the power of the ambiguity of the language construct that he used actually did cause us to go in and invade Iraq under the idea that there were WMDs. Mm. So politicians have been doing this for years. Um, in, in, tho in those contexts, is it manipulative? You be the judge. But we um, train people to use it to be in touch with their higher self and to achieve excellence in everything they're doing. Interesting. And, and yeah, I do think that just players need to sometimes uh, you know, think on a little bit of a higher level. Okay. Um, you know, for instance, I was going over a game yesterday with a student who, in a certain position, uh, just basically made a normal developing move. You know, I think he played rook c8 in a particular position. And I asked him, oh, why'd you do that move? And he goes, well, I had to, you know, develop my rook, um, you know, which is kind of basic opening principles. Which, you know, in a way is true, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's important to, you know, to investigate a little bit further and think, ooh, does that rook on C8 actually do a lot more than it did on A8? Um, not necessarily. Um, so, at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, a lot of chess players do better just because they simply kind of take it to, you know, the next level where it's not just, you know, blindly follow an opening principle, but really, you know, make sure that it actually makes sense, right? So, um, even if it's an opening that you've looked at or reviewed, you know, a hundred times or more, you know, you got to make sure that you're uh, still spending time at the board, making sure that you're analyzing it a little bit more, um, and, you know, doing the best moves possible. Um, so, similarly, you know, one common mistake that I've seen with intermediate players uh, and below is their opponents will do something that's a little bit outside of theory uh, that they're not used to but instead of spending some time trying to potentially take advantage of their opponents somewhat inferior move they'll just kind of make their normal developing move okay. and not you know fully take advantage so there, if you tuned into the subtleties of what your opponent was doing, you could make a more unconscious move coming from a place of conscious, you know, 
unconscious competence, almost where the chess moves are effortless. Have you ever seen players like that? Absolutely. Where they're just good, like the way you probably are playing now, instinctually, because you're noticing your opponent's moves, but you're also thinking about the board from your own point of view. So, so it's, it's, it's definitely a mix, um, and, it, and it depends on the style of the player. There are certain mm -hmm. players that are deep calculators. Uh, me, I'm more of an intuitive player. Uh, but you're using both. Somewhere in the middle is but, but I think uh, you know, definitely important. I think the mastery comes in when it becomes almost effortless. So that's kind of what we're after with this pursuit of excellence. We want to bring congruency in the behavior for people, whether it's in business or health, between their inner representations and their outer world and how they communicate. So for example, following your passion, that's, that's communication between your inner and outer self and, and to others. Um, how many people do you know are not happy with their jobs and it shows? I know many. Yeah. You so know, they say, oh, I work nine to five, so it's great. And these are the people that come to us, uh, coaches and consultants, because there's a disconnect between what they love to do and what they're doing. Um, but and I'll say the same, it's, it's definitely the same thing with chess. You know, I know a lot of people that are like, oh, I can't study, it's so challenging, it's this and that. Well, guess <laughs> what? You, you know, you, you got to be passionate about it, right? And that's something actually, who, who actually said that just the other day? Um, oh, that's right. It, it, it was Jason Bowie um, who actually came to Africa with us last year. Um, and he also... Um, is the founder of the Philadelphia Chess Society, and mm -hmm. he was actually on our podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, was going to be last week. Okay. But uh, the recording was lost. Oh. So instead, we wrote a blog post about it. You can check oh, it out. Premierchess.com okay. okay. slash blog. Um, actually, I recorded that from here. So, so what you're <laughs> saying about him is? But what I was saying about him anyway, without getting too sidetracked, you know, he said actually like the number one thing for kids to, you know, actually getting better in chess is just being passionate. Mm. You know, and I think that's something that, that's that NLP an, could bring, bring out to people. Absolutely, you know, and, and you know, inner passion. and think about um, kids you know that just naturally move from uh, a motivation of their inner and outer selves, right? Um, and you could you could tell if somebody's upset or they're not doing that just by their body language, their breathing, their eye patterns, how, the, the kind of language they're using to speak to you. So, th so that's the beauty of, of being an NLP practitioner. I do offer certification for practitioners, and um, they, they listen to a series of audio uh, files, and they get a manual, and they learn how to apply NLP to their everyday life because I feel that it's really a valuable tool. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, just uh, you know, I guess real quick, uh, do you have any other insights you'd like to share about NLP and chess? About NLP and chess, I would say um, if you find yourself being in your head too much. If you find yourself overanalyzing a situation, if you find yourself questioning your own abilities, you're a good uh, candidate who can benefit from NLP training and NLP coaching mm. because you'll start to become more at peace with the things that aren't quite in sync right now. And in the process, you'll develop new neural pathways of approaching that situation so that you become more confident 
you become more um, adept at what you're doing, more focused. Wonderful. Um, yeah, well, thank you, Susan, uh, so much for joining our fourth uh, edition of the Premier Chess Podcast. Um, Susan has been uh, a great friend of ours for uh, about a year now, a little bit over, maybe. And uh, she, uh, you know, has actually come to some of our events. Uh, she's actually become friends with some of our other partners as well, like uh, Guitar Guy Guru, Mike Papapavlou. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it has been a great influence both uh, personally and professionally. And uh, we look forward to seeing her, uh, you know, grow in her, her business. Um, also um, play some more chess tournaments sure. uh, in the near future. And, and I'd love uh, to have uh, people come and train with me in NLP and hypnosis. That would be fantastic. I'm looking uh, for students. Definitely, uh, you know, recommend it. And uh, Susan, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way of doing that? Um, I would say you can email me at susan at susan.coach. That's susan at susan.coach. Send me an email. Fire away with your questions. And you can also go to my website. The website that I'll mention for you today is susan.coach. All right. Wonderful. That's susan.coach, everyone. Thank you so much for your Thanks time. For me. And um, we will see you next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to the fourth edition of the Premier Chess Podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode, which will be absolutely amazing.